purpose. And so let me say that this is not part of my message. This is something we came into as we prayed this morning. So I want to share what I would say is a word from the Lord for some of you this morning. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I look at uh, when I look at church. Um, I see people come in. And I recognize, listen, and all of you look great, by the way, right? All of you look great. But I recognize that, that when you come to church on, on Sunday morning, that a lot of times, by nature, you put your best foot forward, right? You, you want to wear your best, look your best. You want to honor the Lord, honor those that you're around. And, 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 I, and that's fantastic and beautiful and wonderful. But I also know that many times people come in brokenness, despair, Hopelessness actually defines what's going on internally. And this morning, I want you to recognize and just know that, that God, when you walk in the door, is aware of that. That honestly, I'm aware that many of you are at that place. Justin's just praying for us. Did you hear him? And in that place of coming, some of us come and we come with very real, like, Expectations, God. I want you to move, and I want you to move right here. And one of the things that I that I've come to realize about God sometimes is that sometimes God is more interested in just being with you and loving you than He is in speaking and answering questions. Because there are times in our lives where He says, "Just be still, just be quiet, and let me just let me just love you." And so what I want to say this morning is that when we come into this time, when we come to church, I expect God's presence to be here, and I expect Him to move in your life. And I want you to know that I think it's fair and very safe every Sunday or every gathering that we have to come with an expectation of God being present, of Jesus moving, of the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you. Every time, like you can come with an expectation of God being present. But here's the thing I want you to recognize. Sometimes our expectations are for God to do, to answer something or to do something specific. And I want to help release that. Because sometimes God wants to, God wants to come and just be still. And we come frustrated, we come anxious, saying, I need this, need this, need this, and need this. And he's saying, I know what you need. And it's just to be in my presence, to soak me in, and to know that I'm near. And so for someone this morning, you've come in with these, these million questions. Now, I believe God's word for you is just very, very simple. You can expect me, but just expect my presence and know that when the time is right, I will answer the questions that you need answered. But this morning, we just come expecting His presence. Because let me tell you something. For those of you who experienced, you know, when I come and we come to the Lord with all this stuff, and then all of a sudden He just makes His presence known, our questions just don't carry the same weight that they did when we came in. His presence is the defining need of every human being. And so this morning, I want you to know, He cannot wait to meet with you. He's excited that you're here.
Can he meet with you anywhere? Yep. But you came this morning with a greater level of intention, maybe, to meet with him. And he honors that. And he wants to meet you, love on you, and speak to you his kindness, his compassion, and his presence. Okay? All right. Let's dive in this morning. Last week, if you were not here, just briefly, Timothy looked at the first half of Luke chapter 7. Timothy is our youth pastor, minister, youth extraordinaire, right? And he did a great job of walking through the nature of faith. And he said, he said, faith is a belief, listen, faith is a belief and a conviction which leads to action, right? Birth knowledge of let me say that again, right? Faith, a belief and a conviction, a belief and a con- deep heart conviction which leads to action, both from our trust in Jesus. And so, so, so faith is just this, we have this deep belief and conviction which gives us the confidence to act. As we talk about this nature of faith, right? That faith is never blind. Our faith in, in Christ is never blind because, because we know His presence. We know He's good. He's kind. He's near. He's compassionate. He is loving at all times. And so our faith is never just this blind faith of action. No, it's faith. And here's the point. Taking a massive step of faith, leaving my home to go to a place that God's called me to go, to do something outside of my comfort zone. Our faith is not, okay, I'm just going to trust God blindly. No, I trust God. Why? Well, because He's proven Himself in the past. He is always invested in every part of our life. He is always near to us. He never leaves nor forsakes. And no matter where we go, He is present. So my faith, then, is in a God who is near, who is loving, kind, compassionate, invested in every single point of my life. Now, the big caveat, right, is do I actually know Him that way? That's the big caveat, isn't it? Do I know, do I have that level of faith because of my knowledge of Him? And so this is this faith that we believe in. And, and, and Timothy just shared the story of the centurion guard, right, who had faith to believe Jesus, greater faith than Jesus had ever seen before, to believe Jesus for healing. And then you had the, the little boy who was dead, and they're carrying through the town, and Jesus just walks up and says, actually, life, bam, right? He sits up. Fantastic, right? You see this act of faith, believing and trusting, because God is present. Jesus loves. And so we have this nature then of our faith. It's faith of believing God, trusting Him. Listen, faith active in every area of my life. Marriage, children, job, and every area of obedience that he calls me to and sharing Christ as I'm walking through the Publix line or the Walmart line or whatever it may be, being Jesus, expressing Jesus, and just trusting God. Beautiful act of faith, trusting in all things. Which is why I think it's beautiful, because we have this nature of faith. That's why I think it's beautiful then, that Luke then takes us to the next, verses 18 through 35-ish, verse 35, and then he begins to talk about the story of doubt. And 
the context of these great stories of faith, he then brings up the topic of doubt in the person of John the Baptist. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at how doubt creeps into our life, how, how doubt creeps in to steal faith from us, and then talk about it in such a way that you don't feel terrible in struggling with doubt. Because let me say this from the beginning. Doubt is a part of every single human being's life. And we need to learn how do we handle that without feeling like a terrible Christian in the middle of it. So your Bibles turn to Luke chapter 7. Starting at verse 18. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on the screen behind the right side of me. Reading from the English Standard Version. It says this. So John's disciples told them all about these things. These things, these miracles, the works that Jesus had just done, right? Then John, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the man came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At the very time, Jesus cured many red diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go. Go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is, good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury and palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sing a dirge, you did not cry. For John the Baptist came either eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he was a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So let's set the stage this morning with John the Baptist. So if I were to look back, we've looked at this already, John and, John, and Luke chapter 3. John is in the Jordan River. And he's baptizing people. He's, he's preaching repentance. He's saying, turn from all of your sin. Make yourself right before God. And he says, and one is coming who, who, who I baptize with water. He will baptize you with fire. There's one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to reach down and untie or to tie. And all of a sudden, Jesus walked with the brow of the hill coming down towards the river. And he goes, there he is. There is the one. There is the Messiah. Here is the chosen one. There he is. And he comes down and Jesus says, baptize. He says, 
what do you say? John goes like, hey, I am not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, no, we need to do this in accordance with my Father's will. He baptizes, whoop, comes back up. All of a sudden, the heavens part. Scripture says that a dove, right, Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, came and landed on the shoulder. And then, it's the, then God's voice thundered and said, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this is a big deal, right? And so we have this moment, John the Baptist, he's like, yes, I saw, we don't know exactly how John knew, but John knew this was the Messiah. He called it out. He told everyone, all of his followers said, hey, this is the one, John's name, and this is the Messiah. This is exciting. And then we know at the end of, John, of Luke chapter 3, and then John, a great boldness, great boldness, and, the, and stirred up in his spirit by God himself, goes to Herod Antipas. Herod, the Tetrarch, he is the governor of Palestine. He's in charge uh, administratively and legally, right? And all of this in the government sense. And all of a sudden he goes in and says, hey, you're sleeping with your brother's wife. Stop it or else. And Herod, with great compassion and great understanding, says, I'm throwing you in prison. Awesome. Right? And so John goes into prison. And so what we find here in Luke chapter 7 then, with all this going on, John the Baptist has been in prison, and we don't know exactly how long it's been for a season. Right? He's been in it for a season, so much so that he's missed the entire beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so his disciples are having to come and tell him stories of everything that is happening. So let me skip on down in, in verses 24 to 28. And so, so Jesus, the, the disciples have left, uh, of John's disciples have left, and they've gone back to John. And so now we pick it up, and Jesus says, all right, what did you, he goes out and describes John in a very honest, in a very affirming way. He calls him strong, and he calls him unwavering. What did you get to see, a reed blown in the wind? No, he's not blown, he's strong, he's unwavering, just see someone dressed in fine clothes, no, he's not trapped by anything of our culture, he is only trapped by the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, right? Then he comes down and says, as a matter of fact, is he a prophet? Yes, but he's not just a prophet, he is the prophet. He is the one who's coming in the spirit of Elijah, and everyone goes, oh, because everyone knew that before the Messiah could come, Elijah had to come first. That's what the Old Testament said. Those of you who have been in church and talk about the second coming of Christ, you've heard people say, Jesus can't come again until all the nations have heard the name Jesus. We'll know that he can come when that happens. This is that. He could, well, Messiah has, excuse me, the Elijah hasn't come back yet, so I guess Messiah can't come. And Jesus said, well, actually, you missed it. Here he is, John the Baptist. So what does that mean? Well, he's not just a prophet. He is the prophet preparing the way for the coming of the king. I mean, there's prophets, and then there's this prophet. So what we see is Jesus affirming, affirming and talking about the greatness of, of John. It's beautiful to see. And then he goes down and says, as a matter of fact, he is the most and the greatest of all people ever born of woman. He basically the crowd says, better than all y'all. He's better than all y'all. John Baptist, he's better than all y'all. All right? 
And they're going, oh, John the Baptist. They're not clapping. Yay! Right? They're cheering right here. He's telling the whole crowd and the whole crowd. Man, they're excited. They're pumped. They're like John the Baptist. Everybody except the Pharisees. There's dynamic going down, right? So what I want you to see in the midst of all of this, all I'm trying to paint is a picture of the affirmation of Jesus of who John is. He's better than you. He's better than me. He's least in the kingdom. He's serving God. He's unwavering his commitment to the kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful affirmation. I, I would love for Jesus to say that about us someday. And so it's, just, so it's, it's, it's incredible and interesting to read in verse 18 through 20. It says, John, we read again. John's disciples told him about all these things that Jesus was doing. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? And then Jesus later on says, Blessed, he says to John's disciples, Send back this message. Blessed are those who do not stumble or fall away on account of me. It's beautiful. Because what we find in this moment, one, is John is struggling. John is struggling. He is questioning, is Jesus the Messiah? Doubt has crept into them. Yes, he's heard, he's experienced, but in the moment, in prison, he's struggling. He's saying, I hear the stories, and I hear what's going on. Uh, are you the one to come? And Jesus says, blessed are you if you don't stumble on account of what I'm doing. He's saying to John, I can, listen, I get it. You're, you're struggling here. There's doubt. You're stumbling in the moment. Blessed are those who don't doubt. So in the moment we're finding is there is this reality that John is struggling. The greatest man ever born of woman. Jesus said that after he's already had this doubt producing moment for John, right? He has this moment and speaks directly into it. He says to the disciples, go back and tell them the deaf hear, the blind see, the gospel have, the poor of the gospel preach to them. John is struggling. So the question is, well, what's going on? What's causing him to stumble? What's causing him to struggle? Well, where, where are these doubts coming from? And so scripture is not very clear on this, but I'm going to just tell you, I'm going I'm I'm to infer a few things and share just some ideas to consider. That's really important, okay? Because there are a lot of things, this is not, this is not gospel truth. This is just thoughts to consider. Are you okay with that? Like when you read, you should have thoughts to consider. Things that maybe you don't know. Things you don't know from culture. So here are some thoughts to consider from the story we see and part of how humanity, humanity works in general and the expectations of the Messiah himself, okay? So the first thing that we would get is this. We see with John, there's hardship. Like, he's literally in prison. And listen, it's not like, hey, it's like, I really appreciate everything that you said, so I'm going to give you an easy go in prison. No, he doesn't like John the Baptist. John the Baptist is speaking against him. And, and it's not like three meals a day in a workout room and a high-def television to watch in prison. It's not that. It's really bad. And so he's literally in this moment and he's, and he's struggling. To, because he's struggling. Why? Because it's difficult. Is God with them? Yes. Does he know God's with them? Yes. Doesn't mean that prison's easy. Talk to Carl Durant. He's a member here at Vintage. He does prison ministry every week. You should hear his stories. It's not easy. 
And so in the moment, there's this hardship, there's this struggles, and John is strong and resolute in his convictions and his belief in who God is. But he's human. And there's a great chance that he is struggling with questions like, I thought, oh, and despair and depression, that darkness creeping in. Like, it's interesting to me that he is in the spirit of Elijah. Why? Well, if he's in the spirit of Elijah, it's interesting to look back at Elijah. Maybe we can learn something from John the Baptist and looking at the life of Elijah. I'm not going to spend too long, but in, in 1 Kings 18, it's one of the stories you grew up with as a kid with a flannel board, right? It's like, it's when, it's when uh, uh, Elijah goes against the prophet of Baals, the, prophet, the prophets of Baal. And, and it's just like, it's like duking it out, right? They're like having this like, um, massive fight. See, who's the best? Who's the one true God? And long story short, Yahweh God, Elijah's God wins. He sends fire. Listen, how cool would this be? He sends, God sends fire down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, and consumes all the water that they just poured on the sacrifice. Like, you're talking about a butt whooping right there. That would have been fun to watch. This is sit there by popcorn and watch that from the hilltop, right? This is good time. I'm going to watch that happen. This is this great moment of watching God's, listen, of watching God's power in action, validating the ministry of Elijah, validating that he's heard from the Father. And then in 1 Kings 19.3, Jezebel has just written the letter. She's the queen and says, I know what you've done. I'm going to track you down and I'm going, we're going to kill you. And 1 Kings 19, verse 3, it says, And in fear, Elijah ran. In fear, Elijah ran. He goes on later in chapter 19 and says, I have been zealous for the Lord, but I'm the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. It's not fair, God. Do you see the humanity in Elijah, the great prophet? He thinks he's alone. He thinks he's by himself. He feels a despair. Death is at his doorstep. Jezebel's going to kill him. He's just had a fire from heaven moment, and he's already now, like three months later, in despair, in fear, running away. Humanity. Elijah. John and the spirit of Elijah. Just maybe there's this level of despair and tension and questioning and frustration happening in the life of John. Or maybe, maybe John's saying, why am I still in prison? Why am I still in prison? Listen, I, I heard that Jesus opened the scroll to Isaiah 61 and said, and went and said, hey, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim freedom for prisoners. And here I am sitting in prison. I just wonder maybe, maybe he's sitting there going, if he were really the Messiah, and if he really had come to, to set the righteous free who were held in prison, he would see me as being righteous and set me free because I'm here for him. Right? You see what I'm getting at? Like there's this tension stirring. He's hearing all of these stories of miracles while he's sitting in prison. And just so you know, he dies in prison. He gets his head cut off. We don't ever know if John actually ever really re-embraced the understanding of Jesus as Messiah. Scripture's silent. Oh, but Steve, I sure hope he did. Me too. But you don't know. 
And so he's in this moment saying, why am I still here? The Messiah sets free those who are in prison, especially the righteous. I just came in the, in the name of God as a, pro, as a prophetic proclamation on behalf of God. I've come to rebuke and to repent this king who is living in her, her, his terrible, horrible sin. Here I am in prison. Maybe there's a level of, what's, where is God? What's going on? Why? Who is he? What is uh, right tension? Or maybe listen, number third, the third piece. I mean, maybe he just doesn't look like the Messiah to John. I mean, so in this thing, like, there's this thing called the Nazarite vow. There's basically this being set, set apart for the purposes of God, and they wouldn't cut their hair, they you know they they would not drink wine, and they would you know they would. John's covered in the camel's hair and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Right? And so you think he's, like he's living in the desert, setting, his, setting himself apart for the purposes of God. And, and here comes Jesus, right? And he says, the Messiah is going to come. He's going he's to be a political leader. Jesus had zero political aspirations. And everyone was expecting a political leader. He's not with the Messiah. And he comes, listen, he hangs out with prostitutes. Calls them friends. He hangs out with other sinners, tax collectors. And his first miracle was making alcohol. Wine! Listen, I don't care what church you grew up in, what you got taught. It was alcoholic wine. There was alcohol in it. There's no way to get around it. And Jesus made it. And he drank it. And John's like, this does not look like the Messiah. I wonder if he really is the one to come. I wonder if I've just put myself in prison for someone who is another false messiah. Can you identify with him at all, with things that you've tried to believe God for, expect God for, trusted God for, thought you heard God about, whatever it may be? Let's just be honest. So that can make it, bring it real home to us, vintage people who have been here in the beginning. Man, did I miss God in the coffee house? We set aside over $30,000 to go towards a coffee house and do it vintage. We haven't done it. Did I miss him? I mean, we have all of these things that God speaks into. We're like, yes, I have for the Lord. And then expectations aren't met. We don't follow through. We're like, oh, oh my gosh, my God is in me. I'm in sin. Oh, and we're just doubting all these things. John the Baptist is a human being just like us. And I love it. Jesus' response to John's doubt. Well, read it again. I see understanding. I see compassion. I see caring. And then he sits there and affirms John to the entire crowd. Listen, there's one thing for me to affirm you to your face. There's another thing for me to affirm you to the masses. And he's affirming John. Do you see the love of a father here? Listen, the thing I want to say this morning is this. Honest, hear this, this is important for some of you. Honest doubting is not sin. Honest doubting is not, is not sin. Instead, it is the reality for every one of us as a human being. John, godly man, doubting situations, things he's believed, theology even. He's doubting the context of his own difficulties and his own hardships and the context of unmet expectations of the one whom he thought was the Messiah and could set him free. There's a level of despair probably as he sits in prison waiting for death. The same type of despair that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
as a human being. To let him sin. Honest doubt, honest struggles is not sin. Jesus treated John like he treats all of us and ours with compassion, with kindness, with love, and with affirmation. The thing I want you to hear me say, faith and doubt are not opposite. Faith and doubt are not opposite. Faith is trust and confidence something is true. Unbelief is confidence and trust that something is not true. We find doubt in the middle of these things, right? Doubt is the state of mind in suspension between the two. A heart that is straddling the fence, per se, and could be drawn either way. But the point we have to begin with is that Doubt is not sin, and doubt is not opposite of faith. Now, it's important to recognize, and hear this, doubt is a serious situation in the heart of man. Doubt is a serious situation in the heart of man, but it is not terminal to death. It's not terminal to death. It's like, oh my gosh, they're dying. They're going to hell and dying. Great. Awesome. Another one lost to the enemy, right? No! Doubt is that moment of like, oh, oh, tension, struggling. You know what it feels like, unless you're not human. Because we've all had these wrestlings, all had these tensions, all had these unmet expectations, all of these wrestlings. But so many of us, we start feeling these seeds of doubt, like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible Christian, God hates me. I've got to turn away from him because he's so disgusted with me. I just don't have faith right now. And God says, don't forget, I am faithful when you are seemingly faithless. It's okay. I affirm you. I love you. We all have issues. We all have doubts. It's a serious situation of the heart, but it's not terminal to death. It is a halfway point that can either lead to a deepened faith. I'll say that again. Doubt is a halfway point that can either lead to a deepened faith or continue to break down to unbelief. Do you hear that? So let me say my story. You've heard it again, so I'm going to tell you a story you already know, so it's not all new to you. My mom died when I was 23. You all know that, most of you. When I was 23 years old, she's in the hospital. And I'm having a moment of questioning. God, my mom loves you, and she's suffering. God, my mom loves you and I love you. And you're not healing her. God, your spirits come so mightily in her hospital room that every single person fell out in the spirit and was out for like 30 minutes. I'm the only one who's sober. God, and even in that, where are you? Where are you, God? I go to my dad and said, God, what are you going to do with Jesus now? There's this crisis moment, right? There's this moment of questioning. There's this moment of like, oh my gosh, if I believe, where are my beliefs? I mean, I've been following it. What about wasting my time? All of these thoughts saying, God, why would you? Why is this? All of these things. And my dad looks at me and says, Steve, where else are we going to go? That's it, Dad. I'm not happy. I'm hurting. I am frustrated. I am here in this moment of questioning, 
of concerns, of tension, of doubts, that they're stirring, right? Isn't that what's like? It's kind of these thoughts, like, it's like you're talking to someone, like, and they're so super clear, and like, no, your doubts, no, it's super clear, there's A, B, and C, and you're like, it's not like that in my head. It's really gray, it's really foggy, and nothing lands and settles with me. So shut it. You're not helping. We find ourselves in this place, this halfway point of tension. John found himself there, the greatest man ever born of woman. I'm like, I feel better then. I don't have to beat myself up. Now, I will say this real clear. There's one thing about a season and a moment of doubt versus a lifestyle of doubt. Right? James talks about that. Do not doubt. But he's talking about this lifestyle, like everything you doubt, you doubt. He's talking about no moments and seasons. Doubt is understood. of wrestling in tension with the Lord. It could, and I don't set the time for that. God does, right? But the tension becomes when we live in the season of like a, a lifestyle of unbelief, never turning to God, never submitting our stuff to Him. So what do we see in John here? Number one, doubt shouldn't produce guilt. It's real simple. Doubt shouldn't produce guilt. I mean, some of you just need to hear that and go home. And that's not bad for people who live all day long under condemnation and guilt, and Jesus is going to go, woohoo! That's not for me. Right? When doubt, listen, when in doubt like John, it's a place of struggle, a place of question, a place where clarity is lacking. But it's not unfaithfulness. It's not unfaithfulness. It's just tension. Listen, we don't need to let condemnation and guilt cripple us. We reach this point. Here's the story for me. I reach this point. This is my story. I hope you have your own story. My crisis of faith moment sitting there. My mom and I ventilated in the room over in the process of dying. And I pray and say, God, I don't understand, but I will love you and I will follow you. But I'm struggling and you have to help me. And every person who knows me from that point forward said something shifted. My crisis of faith moment, this tension of my trust and belief in God, in that moment I said, God, I will look to you. And my crisis of faith went from a possible terrible experience to now my faith is stronger. And that's why doubt is not sin. Because in the moment of tension, in the moment of doubt, if I will not live in condemnation and guilt and just beat myself up all day, then there's a possible breakthrough into a new place with him if we don't, number two, if we don't internalize it. Listen, keeping our struggles buried inside, listen, all it does is kills us from the inside out. So I see that people are like, they're struggling like, man, you can say go to counsel. I don't need counsel, I just need Jesus. I just need some deliverance. Well, you have stuff so deep inside of you, you need to sit down with someone because you don't even know what's going on. You need to help pull that out of you because you so internalize it. You so suppressed it. You need someone who could all of a sudden, with the help of Jesus, come alongside of you and walk you through and pull this stuff out of your life. If you're a person who said, oh, listen, I don't want to pull up things from the past. I just want to look forward. Well, most things in the past are killing you. The only way you can deal with stuff is if you pull it up and deal with it. 
And so John, in the middle of the deal, he, he says, the disciples come, show what's going on over here. They leave. He begins to internally process. And then he calls them back. He says, guys, here's where I am. Here's what's going on. I need you to go back and ask Jesus. And they understood. I don't, listen, we don't know. My hope and belief is that he sat there and processed with them. But they at least knew what was going on. Wow, John is asking if he's the one to come. He just said that he was the Messiah. A little embarrassing, right? No, it's like there's this tension. He's not internalizing it. He's not trying to protect himself. His pride hasn't kept his mouth shut. He's saying, I'm going to let it be exposed because I need to deal with the internal issue so I don't die from the inside out. We don't internalize. And the third thing, I love this. He went directly to Jesus. Don't you love that? And he, listen, he didn't go to Jesus and butter him up. Oh, great one who's doing great things. He says, are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? How many times, listen, if we're honest, how much time do you spend in prayer trying to butter up Jesus to get from him what you want? Honestly. Rather than just having a really honest, heartfelt, gut-wrenching level conversation because he already knows what you're thinking in advance, and just ask him, just talk to him about it. Sat down and said, and Jesus knew. That's why he said, blessed are those who don't stumble on account of what I do and how I live my life and the things that I say. Blessed are those. Compassion. Direct. Direct to Jesus. Listen, faith and doubt are not opposites. Therefore, we don't have to live in guilt because we have moments of tension and things that we're struggling with. But we can't stay in the place of doubt either. It's imperative that we are, that we are not internalizing, that we are directing it towards Jesus. Why? Because Timothy said last week, I think this is profound. He said, listen, faith, Jesus, is the object of our faith. So if we want faith, Faith to arise inside of us. And if we want healing to arise, and Jesus is the only source of that, then in our tension we're doing it, processing it, and looking at Jesus in the process. Do you see what I'm talking about? If Jesus is the, 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 um, the giver of faith, if he is the source of faith, if he is the source of healing, then in my life, I don't run from Jesus in the midst of that. I have to look at him. Because when I see him, he cleanses me, he calms, he arraigns, I'm pulling the analogy here, man. These rains, you're all hearing it. The rain comes. He begins to wash us, make us whole, to make us clean. Spring breaks out. My grass, y'all. I mean, it's like growing up. I mean, it's like spring. Come out of winter. That's a terrible noise. I apologize. In this really deep moment, right? I give you the farting noise. It's terrible, right? Because this whole dynamic going down, right? Spring breaking into winter. Hope breaking into hopelessness. Hope breaking into fear. Faith breaking into faithlessness. Faith breaking in where doubt was. If I go directly to Jesus, where else do I have to go, Steve? Thank you for being a model for me, Dad. Thank you for modeling what it means. Thank you for being the model. 
Let's pray. Father, Lord, I praise you that you understand human beings. God, I praise you that you know us, you understand us. And in spite of all of that, you still draw near and you still love us. Father, this morning I pray first for those who are wrestling this with doubt and, and condemnation. Lord, I pray for freedom and release today. God, to take an honest step towards you. I pray today, Jesus, that you would help those who have internalized for so long and then they stood over their own life as their own little lawyer defending their own beliefs about not pulling stuff out. Lord, I pray that you would help people to, to stop internalizing and, and share what's going on in their hearts and share their tensions and to share their struggles. I pray today, God, that you would simply can, that you would let us know that looking at you is safe. Because for some of us, we're afraid to look at you because we're afraid all you need to get angry at us. But you're not angry. You looked at John with great compassion and kindness and true authentic love. And you affirmed him in the moment. Blessed are those, you said, who do not fall away on account of me. God, I pray for those today, Lord, who, who are falling away into doubt because, God, what you've done or what you have not done has offended or hurt them. And I pray today you bless them with your presence, Jesus. I pray this in your holy name.